The book of 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle written by Paul the Apostle. It's one of his final letters to his protege and spiritual son, a young pastor named Timothy. And although the letter is intended for his ministry life, the content transcends and applies to the Church of Jesus Christ. Within this letter is the most explicit and complete instructions for church leadership and administration. Not only is the Christian's character of utmost importance, but also the church's culture is of spiritual significance. From the qualifications of elders and deacons to the quality of the times and seasons, this letter teaches the believer to guard the truth of the gospel against spiritual treason. And that is why 1 Timothy is a perfect template to follow for life and ministry. Because when we submit to the inspiration and course correction of this letter, the church will be purer, her people bolder, and the gospel clearer. The book of 1 Timothy. Dear church, this is your charge. All right, good morning. We are in the book of 1 Timothy as prefaced. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. We are in chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 3 to 7 specifically. We'll also cover a lot of ground in looking at some parallel verses in the second epistle written by Paul to Timothy in 2 Timothy. So if you're a note taker, I'm going to be jumping back and forth, looking at the parallel theme between these two epistles. They're pastoral epistles. We are after laying a foundation for the Christian's character and the church's culture. Those two cannot be separated. I would argue that it's the Christian's character that contributes to the church's culture. Gone are the days where the Christian and the church of Jesus Christ should be tone deaf. You ever heard that expression? Somebody's tone deaf. Usually, it's a musical expression. But spiritually speaking, how many have missed what's happening in our world because they've been tone deaf? They've not been tuned in to the tone of truth. That's why many people get caught up in, you ready for it? False movements, false prophecies, false revivals, false doctrine, false teachers, false pastors, false churches. The Bible actually tells us we are living in the days of apostasy. To be apostate means to fall away. It means they once previously may have known or had an intellectual wherewithal of, but have since departed. How is that possible? I'll tell you, lies typically thrive in any organization or organism when truth is denied, when truth is neglected. I want to be a servant leader in the midst of this community that asks each of us to reverse that trend, to reverse the trend that where lies thrive because truth is denied, we are people that say, no, truth is going to thrive because lies will be denied. That makes us gatekeepers. Some of us have very specific responsibilities as gatekeepers. I would say that elders, pastors, deacons are gatekeepers to a flock, to a fellowship. 
My responsibility is very specific. As a pastor or shepherd, I am to tend to the flock that God has entrusted to me, not lording authority over the flock, but actually living and dwelling in the midst of the flock. And my hope is that as a gatekeeper, I would encourage each of us in this room, everybody in the body, that you would keep your own gates. Each of us keep gates. Moms and dads, you keep the gates of your home, of your family. Individuals, Christians, you keep the gates of your eyes, the gates of your mind. The gate, more importantly, as the Proverbs tell us, the gate of your heart. Guard your heart above everything, it says, because out of the heart flows you. Your spiritual life flows forth from your heart. Now, what are you exposing your gates to? Truth or lies? Categorically, there is no neutral position in between the two. Truth or lies? Light or darkness? Life or fill in the blank? Death. So to guard the gates requires us to rightly handle the word of truth. That's 2 Timothy 2.15. Under the inspiration of the spirit of truth. That's John 16.13. Always pointing to the Lord of truth. That's John 14.6. And of course, standing firm as the church, the pillar and the ground of truth. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. That's the primary reason that Paul writes this letter to Timothy. Objective. Tim, if I'm delayed and I can't make it to you in person, I write this letter, I put pen to paper, and I send it to you so you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Translation, the family of God. He's not talking about a building, he's talking about a people. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you would know how to conduct yourself as a believer in the house of God, which is the church, the ecclesia, That's the called out people, publicly speaking, of the living God, the living and active sovereign God. And he qualifies it or defines it. And I love it. That would be the pillar and the buttress of truth. The ground of truth, the base of truth. That's the Christian community. Now, why is that important? All this talk about truth. Well, here's why. Wherever truth is planted, there will be liars that seek to supplant it. From Genesis 3 all the way to the days of you and me, the same strategy of the enemy is to go where truth is planted and seek to supplant it, usurp it, divide it, contaminate it. See, in the first century, you better believe the enemy, he attacked the church of Jesus Christ from the outside in. Persecution was heating up in the first century, in the first three centuries. And every time he attacked the church from the outside in, the church just spread like wildfire. It was the persecution that became the wind of the Holy Spirit that would cause the church to spread out in the known world at that time, in the Middle East, down to Africa, up into what we know as Europe. Like 
the gospel was going forth. Paul, a pioneer of the faith, the book of Acts talks about his journeys. He writes a majority of the epistles of the New Testament. He shows us every time there was a attempt to oppose or persecute, it just caught on like wildfire. So listen, the enemy goes, I'm not going to do this from the outside in as much as I'm going to try to contaminate the truth from the, yes, inside out. If he could soil the living waters, if he could counterfeit the truth of God's word. Now, here's why this is challenging. Spiritual liars or deceivers don't advertise their efforts. They're not marketing or promoting the fact that they're slipping in a lie, an error, a heresy. So this is Paul's first exhortation to Timothy about why he's writing this letter in the first place. Let's run through by way of review, the who, the when, the where, the what, the why. Note takers, you already know. Who? Paul to Timothy. An elder Paul to a younger Timothy, his protege. The one that he met in Timothy's hometown of Lystra. The one that Paul, according to the reputation of Timothy, wanted to bring him along on his missionary journey. This one that would be a proxy to Paul. This one that would be a troubleshooter for Paul. This one that, which blew my mind, and it's the third time I'm mentioning it, Timothy would be a co-sender of six of Paul's epistles and would be the recipient of two others. That's eight of the 13 Holy Spirit-inspired letters in the New Testament Timothy had a part in. It's remarkable. That's the who. The when, around AD 63. Significant because this is the end of Paul's life, whether he knew it or not. His second letter to Timothy, he gives a hint to know that his time on planet Earth is short. The where? Ephesus. Ephesus was an extremely important church community in the first century and beyond. There is a book entitled Ephesians. That was to the church at Ephesus. First Timothy and Second Timothy are geared towards the community planted in Ephesus. The elder apostle John would write the same way to the community as he was a pastor in the latter years of his life in Ephesus. The book of Revelation of the seven churches that Jesus speaks to in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, one of them was Ephesus. Ephesus was a problematic community. Ephesus was known for its wealth, kind of like Ocean City. Ephesus had its fair share of influencers. Ephesus was also known for its pagan idols and temples. And there is where God decided to plant a church, obviously with Paul's oversight and now Timothy's pastoral care. This is where we begin. Why? Verses three to seven are going to answer that question. And finally, what? What's the point? Guard 
what has been deposited to you. Guard the truth. Guard the gospel. Guard the gates of your life. Be gatekeepers. If God has placed you in a position where you are a gatekeeper to a family, to a business, to a company, to a church, to a ministry, you guard that gate. And like Jesus, who was the door to a, to a flock or fold, he was the gatekeeper and he was willing to lay down his life to keep anyone from stealing what was his. Verse three, as we begin. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. All right, this verse, chock full of theology and of course some context. Paul urges young Timothy, likely in person, so verbally tells him at some point, Timothy, when you get to Ephesus, you're going to have to deal with these issues. That's the charge. He also writes it down so we have access to it in this book of the Bible. He says, I urged you when I went to Macedonia, likely to check on the Philippians, that, that area. When I was on my way to Macedonia, I told you, remain in Ephesus, which is interesting and perhaps only pastors amongst us would understand what is being said here. Timothy, I know it might feel like there are times when you just want to leave. I guess let me say it like this. From my perspective, the greatest blessings of ministry, the best times, always derive from the people of God. People of God that bless, that encourage, that are supportive, easy to work with. That's one of the blessings of ministry. Okay, with that being said, one of the worst things about ministry is also people. But obviously, I'm not talking about anybody in this room, and I'm not talking about anybody that's watching online. But Paul's like, Timothy, stay put. I know it might feel like you want to leave. Don't leave your post. And he gives them a military charge. I charge you, he says, to tell others not to teach any other doctrine. This is key. This is pivotal. No other doctrine. It's one word in the Greek. It's very telling, this phrase. It's not just don't teach foreign doctrine. It's don't teach fraudulent doctrine. And it was at times hard to tell the difference between the two. Because these guys were coming in and they were taking that which was derived, get this, derived from the Bible, and yet their teaching deviated from what was biblical. That's false doctrine. Let me say it one more time. They were taking that which was derived from the Bible, passages, and we'll find out what those passages were, but they were teaching it and they were deviating from what was actually biblical. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy, charging him to tell others not to teach any other doctrine. Now, about 10 years earlier, Paul, he actually summoned the elders of this actual body in Ephesus unto himself, and he gives them a prophetic or preemptive warning or charge 
about what to expect. In Acts chapter 20, this is what he said. He couldn't make it to Ephesus himself. So from Miletus, verse 17, chapter 20, he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. And then he pours out his heart in this moment, likely because he knew he would not return to speak to them face to face. The journey that lied ahead, he knew that in Jerusalem, what was waiting for him was chains and tribulation. And he tells them in so many terms how much he loved them and cared for them and prayed for them through tears. And then he gets very serious and says this in verse 25. And indeed, now I know that you all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. That's key. The whole counsel of God's word. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Powerful. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Paul knew when he leaves as one of the gatekeepers, there would be savage wolves that would come from the outside in. Now, we don't know. Usually when we're talking about savage wolves, it's framed with they look like sheep, they sound like sheep, they preach like sheep, they sing like sheep, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves, which requires an eye to discern who's who amongst us. Now, remember when I said first week, the entire epistle is a defense of the gospel. If the Christian is truly underlining the gospel, that lifestyle will expose those that are undermining the gospel. You underline the gospel, your life will expose those who are undermining the gospel. He continues, he says this, also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Did you catch what Paul left with the elders? Savage wolves. Did you know that a wolf in sheepskin is fatal to a few, but a wolf in shepherd's clothing is fatal to the flock. And that is why he is charging young Timothy to stay at the gate of Christ's church. Don't leave your post. Now, of course, you better believe false teachers, false prophets, false pastors, false ministers. They're not coming to you advertising that they are teaching lies. In fact, they'll even use scripture with the best of them. They will use the word of God, but if you don't have a working knowledge of the entirety of the counsel of God's word, as Paul said he labored to present to his church, then you can easily be deceived. You see, scripture may come from a teacher, question, but is the teaching from the scriptures? Scripture may come actually from the platform, from the pulpit, from the 
pastor. There will be an address for you to look at in the word. But just because scripture comes from the teacher doesn't mean that the teaching is actually scriptural. And I would charge you to even make sure you're looking into the things I'm saying. Like the Bereans. The Bereans were known for looking into the things that they were taught. And too many of us, yeah, I want to be trustworthy with the word. But I'm asking these before me, the church, to do your due diligence, to make sure that you're spending time in the word. See, Paul would say to Timothy in the second letter he wrote, get this, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, verse two, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, rebuke, exhort with long suffering and teaching. That should be every pastor's anthem. Preaching the word of God in season and out of season, translation, regardless of the season, whether times are good or times are bad or times are confusing, preach the word, do so with conviction, convince, do so, and be ready to rebuke when things are wrong, exhort. That means build up, be patient. Sometimes you don't see the impact or the effect that the word has on people's lives. It's not immediate. It's a seed that needs to germinate. And a pastor has to keep that in mind because at times you could say, I'm laboring so hard and not, I'm not seeing the growth in my flock. And yet God is saying, be patient, keep planting the seeds. I will do the growing. What did he say after preach the word, Timothy? Verse three is what he said. For the time will come and the time is now when they will not endure sound doctrine but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves, look, teachers, and they will turn away their ears from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Now, the reason I wanted to go into 2 Timothy is because the same problem that was occurring at the time he wrote the first letter to Timothy seems to be a recurring theme a couple years later in the second letter to Timothy. But he's noting that there's coming a time, and I would say the time is now, where people will no longer care for sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy teaching, which means they'd rather settle for, by way of the opposite, unhealthy teaching. But what is unhealthy teaching? He tells us. There will be those who have itchy ears. Can I define an itchy ear for you? An ear that wants to be itched, itch my ear, pastor. Basically, tell me what I want to hear, pastor. There are false churches that are built upon this premise. People come out and they're told what their sinful flesh wants to hear. God wants to make you happy. Amen. Where do I sign up? God wants to make you healthy. Amen. Where do I sign up? God has a desire to make you wealthy. Of course. No, no, none of those things. The true gospel is not about being happy, healthy, or wealthy. The true gospel is about God making his people holy. Okay? That's an unpopular teaching. Itch my ear. Tell me what I want to hear. And then there's this category that falls in, don't itch my ear. 
Some people would prefer to have a stitch in their ear. Like, pastor, don't tell me what I need to hear. See, they're not the people that want to be told what they want to hear. There's a group of people that don't want to be told what they need to hear. And there's a third category. It's not ears that want to be itched. It's not ears that want to be stitched. I hope you're amongst this category. It's ears that want to be enriched. It's, it's ears that want to hear the truth of God's word, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's offensive, even when it's pointed. Because I know I need the word of life amongst a culture of many liars. I need to know what I believe, and I need to know in whom I believe. See, in the midst of biblical preaching and teaching, it's not uncommon to see people come and go. People will come and go because they were not told what they want, wanted to hear. People will come and go because they were told what they did not want to hear. See, too many people want their church comfortable rather than biblical. And while we're on the subject, I guess I'll take you back to BC. Way back, right? Not before Christ, before COVID. <laughs> Preaching the word, convincing, rebuking, exhorting with all long suffering and teaching, of course, had a certain velocity to it. But the moment that something happened in our world that touched every life at the same time, it elevated a spiritual awareness. And every pastor who had sense of him about what was happening because they were in the word of God was able to call it out for what it was. There were plenty of deceivers and there was plenty of deception and there were attempts to silence the church. There was an even attempt to shut down the church and the church was categorized or labeled non-essential. And if the rumor mill is right and what's coming down the pike is true, I will say it from this platform and I'll say it once and I'll say it loud and I'll say it clear. If there be any other attempt by anyone or the government themselves to try to shut this church down, we will not shut our doors. We will not mandate social distancing. We will not require masks. That's what comes with being a gatekeeper. Church was never meant to be comfortable. The true church is required to be biblical. And a world that is paralyzed by fear and lies. That world needs a faithful church. And the bride of Christ needs to know who she is. And each of us with a sense of urgency in these days would take what Paul said to Timothy in that second epistle, continuing the thread, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. We read verses three and four about the times are coming where people will not endure sound doctrine. They won't care for healthy teaching. They'll wanna have itching ears. They'll wanna have their, their ears stitched. This is what Paul said to Timothy. But you, Timothy, be watchful in all things. Be sober, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist and fulfill your ministry. Now, back to chapter one in the first epistle. What was it about Timothy fulfilling his ministry in this regard? No other doctrine. 
What was that other doctrine? Verse 4 tells us, here are some of those errors. Now, listen, I don't want to get lost in some of these details because the details to get lost in are limited. We don't have a lot of details about what these fables were or even what these endless genealogies were all about. We can surmise and conjecture, but by and large, Paul is saying in verse 4, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes, division, or speculation, rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Godly edification, let me define it for you up front, stewarding God's economy. These guys were not only presenting strange doctrine, other doctrine, they were also getting lost in fables, fanciful stories, legends even that couldn't be proved. And there was something about genealogies. Now, both lend themselves to something to do with Judaism, okay? There was something going on with converts to Christianity that were once Jews who couldn't let go of some of the Old Testament references or the law. But either way, what was being presented from any of these categories, ready? Came from, this is new revelation. If you ever hear anyone on a podcast, on a YouTube upload, any preacher, teacher that says they've been given new revelation, you need to pump your spiritual brakes. Note this, if it's new, it's not true. And if it's true, it's not new, okay? Having a knowledge, when I see certain things like a discovery of an ancient mystery, it's clickbait. They want you to click on it. And if you don't have a grounding in the truth of God's word, you can be so easily led astray. Anyone that claims new philosophy, new enlightenment, these were man-made teachings, demonically designed, Paul would call them doctrines of demons, lies and falsehoods, passed off as divine truth. We don't know exactly what these lies consist of other than these myths and these endless genealogies had some type of connection to the law, Old Testament, okay? And we know that from verse seven, which we'll get to. There was a Jewish element. Hey, my note takers, there's really only three pools of doctrine, okay? Only one of the three is sound doctrine. The other two are lies from the pit of hell. The first pool is legalism. Legalism is built on works righteousness. Anyone that says you have to do good works to get to God, that's works righteousness, that you got to keep the law to a T. There's a movement called the Hebrew Roots Movement right now, where people who are Gentile, they're coming to Jesus, and they're claiming to go backwards into the Old Testament to become Jews. That's backwards. Jews were converted into Christians. So they're going back to the law about what you should wear and what you should eat. That's legalism. Other denominations are built on this false doctrine. You gotta have eyes and ears to know the difference. The other false doctrine from 
legalism, I will define as liberalism. If legalism is works righteousness, then liberalism is the world's righteousness. Another way to define liberalism is progressivism, wokeism, which takes the word of God and allows the world to define righteousness. That's backwards, which leads me to the only pool that the church should swim in. Not legalism, not liberalism, literalism. That's it. Biblical literalism. Taking God at his word, which, of course, there's a letter of the law. And I'll talk about this next Sunday. There's a spirit of that law. So it takes what is legal and takes what is liberal and blends them to become literal. This is safe and sound doctrine. This is why Paul said to Timothy in the second letter, you'll see a theme, Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers. Like tell those guys to stop talking idly. Tell them to stop taking the word of God and turning it into not just a boring lecture. They're turning it into a profitless lecture. Now, if you know the Bible, you know that it says all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable. Profitable for what? Doctrine, teaching, reproof. I'm wrong. I need to be corrected. Correction, instruction in righteousness. These guys were taking the law or even some of the teachings of the apostles and they were, let's just say, breaking down words and they were presenting in such a loft, lofty way. You ever heard a teaching that you don't even know, the guy might as well have given the sermon in, in Greek in its entirety. Like, what are you even talking about? I'm not talking about a pastor going long, talking long, <laughs> like Pastor Dunn. Do you know Pastor Dunn? You don't know? You know. New guests came and sat in the front row. Pastor Dunn was carrying on. New guests couldn't keep up. Was getting a little glossy-eyed, nodding. Eventually, gave himself over to that sleep. Pastor Dunn continued. Right there in the front row, this guy was sleeping. Who noticed it? Pastor Dunn's wife. Also in the front row. She wanted to make sure she got to meet the new guy who was snoring and sleeping during her husband's sermon. So as soon as it got done, of course, she went over and introduced herself. Good morning, sir. I noticed that you're new. That's Pastor Dunn. I'm glad he's, glad he's done. <laughs> to which the guest said, good morning. I thought I was the only one. I'm glad he's done too. <laughs> now listen, I know there's nobody by the name of glad he's done here, but after I get done, you better not identify yourself as glad he's done. <laughs> what does he say after charge them, military term, before the Lord, not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin of the hearers? He says this, be diligent 
to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be put to shame, rightly dividing the word of truth. I love that phrase. In the Greek, it means cut it straight, tell it straight, like a scalpel. Don't waste time. Get to the area of concern. Cut it straight. Divide God's word in a way that it brings unity amongst God's people. There is only but one way to dismantle the web of lies, and that is to rightly handle the word of God. Get this, without a proper handle on truth, anyone can be easily handed over to a lie. Anyone. Easily given over to the lies of false doctrine. Another way that this church in Ephesus, some of the people were handed over to lies was through teachings about family trees and genealogies. Now that makes sense. The Old Testament, and even in the New Testament, genealogies were of utmost importance. Jews took great pride in their family tree. Now, let me just kind of cut to the chase or rightly divide. Genealogies in the Old Testament, they're there as bridges. One, to take us from Adam to Noah, from Noah to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Twelve tribes, each have their own genealogies. Focuses on one of those tribes, the tribe of Judah. Why Judah? Because there's going to be a son from Judah, from King David, the son of David, that would eventually come, fulfilling those genealogies. Adam to Noah, Noah to Abraham, Abraham to David, David to Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of a genealogy. Now, I don't have a problem with you going back into your genealogies and your family trees. There's, there's important things to look at in the rear view that we call family of origin that'll help you in your present spiritual formation. But these guys were taking these genealogies and they were, they were allegorizing them. They were over-spiritualizing them. They were tracing their roots and their lineage and they were coming up with stories about their ancestors that would give them works based righteousness, heritage. And we know the Bible's like, no, 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 no. You're not saved because of your own blood. You are saved because of the, the blood of Jesus Christ. So can I point you to the only family tree that you should care about? Yeah, the head of your family tree. His name's Adam. You are part of the Adams family, do, 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 do. No, but so much darker than the Adams family and so much worse because Adams family, you don't have to worry about Uncle Fester. You have to worry about your sin that festers. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> Every one of us in this place and watching online all of us, because of Adam, we are part of mankind. We are sinners. And it's not our family trees and our heritage and our legacies. It's, it's none of those things. The only thing that can save us from eternal damnation is the arrival of the Son of God, the fulfillment of those Jewish genealogies. And the founder, not of the religion of Christian, Christianity, he's the founder of the world. The second Adam, or the last Adam, 
as the Bible calls him. Here's why these speculations, fables, myths, genealogies, here's why they needed violent course corrections. They caused disputes, divisions. They caused speculations rather than godly edification or the administration of God's economy, which is in the faith. The knowledge that was being dispensed from these guys, it didn't build up, it puffed up. And because it puffed up, it tore down. It didn't strengthen growth, it stunted growth. Hey, here's your litmus test, church, even for every pastor that takes this platform. The knowledge that comes with the teaching should edify, not mystify. The knowledge that comes from a teaching should build up, not puff up. Paul would write to the Corinthians, knowledge puffs up, swelled heads, love edifies, love builds up. Timothy, he says, I charge you to stomp this false teaching out or like a wildfire, it will spread recklessly. Timothy, cut this false teaching out or like cancer, it will ravage the body. Did you know that's what he called this type of messaging? Again, where are we going? The second epistle, 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verse 16. But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. Idle babblings? Yeah, pointless talk. I, I, maybe I'm more exposed to some of these types of teachers than you guys. I do this for a living. I live to do this. So I open myself up to all types of camps, denominational camps, different types of teachers. If you ask me my list of speakers that I listen to, you'd be surprised. Some of them don't get along very well, but I like to open myself up to make sure I'm understanding what's being administered out there. And of course, some of these guys that people send me messages to, it's nothing but idle babblings. They're not saying a single thing. 40 minutes of saying nothing. What do they increase? Ungodliness. For their message will spread like cancer. Did you know that? That's in the Bible. The body will be ravaged by cancer if you let these messages continue. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. He calls out two names. Hymenaeus is going to show up at the end of chapter one, just to give you advance notice. This guy caused a lot of damage to the first century church. Now, here's what would happen. Timothy would come into his body and he would call out this false doctrine and he would course correct. And you better believe he was protecting his flock. So like a shepherd, he would have some type of sense of urgency to him. And you better believe he had some type of boldness to him. And perhaps that's why Paul told Timothy, which many believe Timothy was timid, something about his personality. Hey, hey, Timothy, listen to me. For God has not given us a spirit of, of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound, healthy mind. Because if you come in this way, you better believe Timmy's getting the email saying, that wasn't so loving, pastor. Don't judge, pastor. We should just love one another. Oh, false teachers and those that are deceived by false teachings often emphasize love and unity at the expense of truth. Why? Because truth confronts us in our sin. So anyone from those camps, they say we need to love one another and we shouldn't divide over anything. You ever heard that? 
That sounds a lot like the world. But what you know, Bible, you know that Jesus said, I came to bring a sword. And anyone that receives me and you stand for me, there's going to be separation in your life. You're not going to conform to the world and the patterns of the world. You're going to be transformed by the renewal of your mind, a sound mind. You're going to know my will. You're going to prove that good and excellent and perfect will. The hallmark of all false teachers is just that. We are about love. But the goal of biblical teaching is love aligned with God's truth. Can't neglect the, the one for the other. You see, love that is not aligned with God's truth is not love. In fact, love that is not aligned with God's word actually maligns God's word. Slanders God's word. If a teaching emphasizes love at the expense of truth, it is slanderous to God's word. Now you might think, am I just kind of pulling that out of thin air and trying to make a point that's not there? No, that's exactly the trajectory that Paul is writing to Timothy. Tim, I know you want to leave, stay. I charge you to tell people to stop presenting unhealthy doctrine, getting lost in word debates, genealogies, myths, legends, fanciful stories, motivational TED Talks. It's nonsense. It's useless. It's not leading to godliness. It's actually cancerous. It's not building up. It's tearing down. It's mystifying. Why are you telling me this, Paul? People are going to think that I'm hateful. Verse 5. No. The purpose of the commandment is love. That's why I'm telling you this. The purpose of the charge is love. Love from what? A pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, would they stray from? The purpose of love, from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. They've strayed. They've left the mark. They've left the path, having turned aside to idle talk. There it is again, idle talk. Desiring to be teachers of the law. These guys desired clout and status, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. They swerved off the path. These guys, and this is how you can identify this camp. They speak just to say something. They weren't speaking because they had something to say. You know anybody like that? Don't look around. Look at me. You looked at your spouse, how dare you? <laughs> speaking just to say something versus speaking because you have something to say. Now, in Paul and Timothy's day, not everyone was invited to the platform. You had to be invited to the platform because you had some type of training. You would go to the synagogue and you were in a certain class or you graduated from a certain school. You had a certain degree. And of course, they would welcome you to present a teaching from the law. That's why this was so dangerous. And as preface, we're pushing you towards discipleship groups, which occur in homes. And there's a risk there because once somebody gets in their home and they're on their own, you can be opened up to false teaching, which is why we have pastors who take extra care into what is being 
taught. Did you get that? I even care what little Johnny and what little Susie are being taught in the Family Life Center. Because I want my gatekeepers to be mindful of sound doctrine. Does that make sense? False teachers in this day needed to be invited to the platform. Today, here's the danger. Anyone can platform themselves. You had to go to the synagogue to be exposed to these teachings. Today, all you got to do is pick up your smartphone and click on any social media and the teachings come to you. This is why in the day where information is on the rise, so is deception. This is the day where you got to know who you're following. You see, in a follow me world, be careful who you follow. Be careful who you follow. Know whom you follow. Because a leader who does not rightly handle the scripture is a liar. Did you hear what I just said? A leader who does not rightly handle the scripture is rightly called a liar. A pastor who does not rightly handle the scripture should be called an imposter. Now the purpose of the commandment, verse five, is love. Love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. You can almost take the opposites of each of those. What was the result of these false doctrines from false teachers that was amassing a false following? That wasn't love, it was hate. That is the worst thing you could do is tell somebody the opposite of the truth. That is the most hateful thing to do is to keep somebody from the truth. And yet that's what the world does, does it not? Just love, just let love be love. Meanwhile, the church gets called offensive and hateful for being those, next week we'll talk about it, that rightly handle the law of Moses, which calls out all of us for our sin and creates in us a hole that can only be filled by the Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. So the pure heart was a perverted heart in these guys. A good conscience was a guilty conscience in these guys. And sincere faith was sinful faith with these guys. See, the goal of being a gatekeeper is to protect the health of the body. What do you call it in your actual body that keeps diseases and, and harmful things away or deals with them when they come? Do you know what it's called? It's your immune system. Your own body tells you many lessons about the body of Christ spiritually. That each of our bodies has an immune system. And when something enters into that ecosystem that doesn't belong, your entire body begins to produce different types of cells to combat that virus. And the same applies to the church of Jesus Christ. Some of us are gatekeepers. All of us are called to keep the gates of our lives. Why? Because it's always in the gates where a city falls. Did you know that? Some of the greatest, most impenetrable structures, one is still around today, it's called the Great Wall of China. It should be called the Great Walls of China. It's extensive, thousands of miles. It's, it, it uses the natural terrain of mountains and, and rivers and waters, and it like builds around it. It's, it's unbelievable. And, and they built that to keep their people protected and secure. And armies, great armies, could not penetrate that Great Wall. Did you know there's a couple times on the history books where something happened where they were penetrated. You know how they were penetrated? Through the gates. The gatekeeper was literally compromised or bribed. 
And that's all it took. So it didn't matter how big the walls were. Didn't matter how high they were. If the gatekeeper is not taking his post seriously, it could bring harm to the entire body. Now I have more to say about verse five. I'll do that next week. I wanna end by encapsulating everything that I said and everything about the Christian life. What is the goal of all of this? What is the aim of all of this? Why are we here on a Sunday? I'd much rather be on the beach, at the boardwalk, at the barbecue. Why here in a building? Well, here's the why, and I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad you chose to be here, but here's the why, and here's what I'm after every single time the Lord allows me to teach and preach. The goal of all of this, love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, from sincere faith, can be summarized by this statement. The goal of all of this is for you and I to know Christ. Do you know Christ? Do you know him? If you know him, you will make Christ known. Those two can never be separated. If you truly know Jesus Christ, he is your Lord and Savior. He is your King of Kings. He is the Lord of all. If he is that to you and you know him, I tell you, you will automatically want to make him known to the world around you. Amen. That's it. That's it. Know Christ. Make him known. Know that where God has planted you, where truth is planted, there will be liars who attempt to supplant it, to take away from it. Know this charge comes from heaven itself. You are charged like young Timothy to be a gatekeeper, to keep your gates, to rightly handle the word of truth under the inspiration of the spirit of truth, always pointing to the Lord of truth. And as we do this together, we stand firm as the church, the pillar and ground of truth. So church, dear church, this is your charge. Let's pray. Father, I commit these people to you. I pray as the scriptures have gone out that your spirit seals these truths upon our hearts. Give us pure hearts, purify our hearts by the blood of Jesus. Give us good consciences so we know what is right, what is wrong. We would be excused and at times we would be accused to repent. God, give us sincere faith, unhypocritical faith. Give us authentic faith. Take these people and use them for your glory. Would we know you and would we make you known? In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.